0: This is the Engineering Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Avi Nota. Today, we sat down with Liz Sailing from GitHub. Liz is the Director of Engineering within the Developer Experience Organization. And in this interview, you'll hear the story of how her team was founded and why GitHub paused building features for an entire quarter to focus on improving internal developer experience.
1: My name is Liz Sailing. I am a director of engineering at GitHub. I am part of the developer experience organization. And I, my group focuses on the validation, um, build and test is our group. And we focused on validation environments and testing procedures, basically the entire inner loop from builds and artifact storage and testing and getting things ready to ship to all of our environments. With also, I have the Ruby architecture team, which is amazing. And so we also do a lot of things, you know, specifically focused on performance and um, also some best practices.
0: Thanks for sharing that. As I understand your team is part of a larger group at GitHub. Could you just share a little bit more about where you guys sit in the organization?
1: Absolutely. So we are part of the platform and enterprise organization Uh, which is largely responsible for the infrastructure that github.com runs on. It's responsible for the platform that we ship on premise to many customers, which is our enterprise server, and also our new hosted solution, which is called GAJE. And the way we fit, so the developer experience organization is really the group that is in charge of the entire development workflow. Um, From the frameworks that we use to code and the environments that we code on, all the way through the building and testing and to deploying to all of those environments. And we're also interacting with our security organization to make sure our processes are secure. And yeah, we're basically <laughs> responsible for what all of our hubbers do to build and deploy our platform to our customers.
0: So how do you personally think about the purpose of your team and, team and- you know, I don't know if your team has its own kind of individual charter or mission, but like we in one or two absolutely sentences.
1: Absolutely do. Yes. So,
0: so what what is the the mission of your team in just a couple sentences?
1: Oh, in a sentence, we want to show the world how to build software using GitHub, right? We want to be that example of how to use our platform uh, the best and, and what those best you know measures are and steps are for everybody to follow. For us to build software and collaborate together on technology.
0: That's that's really interesting and also unique because you guys are a team at GitHub. So so what I heard there was you're not only an example, perhaps within GitHub, of how to use GitHub and ship software effectively, but also potentially an example for customers outside of GitHub who use GitHub uh, to ship software.
1: Yeah, I talk all the time to my teams about you know. Imagine our next blog post that goes out to the world, right? What do we want to tell everyone? You know, here here are the patterns we want you to follow. We've proven them. This is what we do. Here we go. But it's so, been a long and interesting journey to get to this point.
0: <laughs> well, let's get into that next. You know, we talk with a lot of companies that are at various stages of setting up different types of internal teams to really empower their their developers. You know, I'm curious how your team was founded and what that origin story kind of looks like.
1: Yeah, we, so I have been at GitHub for three years now, over three years now, um, heading towards four. And the amount of growth that our organization has had, not, not only within GitHub Engineering, but GitHub Engineering at large, right? Um, and GitHub has grown and scaled tremendously over the last three years, and even, before then, you know, the the story starts before me and and when I came into it, but essentially um, we were, uh, I'll just back up one year ago because it's been quite a transformation. Um, We were a smaller organization than what we are today. In fact, we were only one set of three teams and we were, you know, largely focused on the github.com platform and had other teams that covered our enterprise solutions. Um, and in the past year, we started collaborating much more closely with the teams that support our entire platform and also talking more with the folks that build our client applications with our APIs and our mobile platform and, um, the CLI, um, all in an effort to tremendously scale this to where we can support the efficiency and the effectiveness and, frankly, the fun that we have as hovers developing our platform for everyone to share. And that growth has seen us morph out of three teams into now, well, three teams just for the developer experience plus the smaller teams that were funding our enterprise solutions. Um, there were six teams total just a year ago, and now we are three massive organizations that have, you know, tripled, if not quadrupled in size.
0: So from your understanding, what what was maybe the the driving impetus around even creating this team at all at GitHub?
1: Yeah, so we did, um, I will try not to rabbit hole and go way over on the story, but dude, I find it fascinating. So we did a project in the summer of 2020 and if everybody is checking their calendars yes this was right in the middle of the pandemic (laughs) um we are right at the start of being in the middle of the pandemic at least it felt like at that time but we um were coming out of some reviews of what our reliability and our availability looked like and really noticed that we had to do better for ourselves for our customers. And part of that evaluation was taking a, lo- a really close look at what we call the DORA metrics, right? We were working with Nicole Forsgren. Um, we're big fans of understanding the throughput, um, what they call the DORA metrics, right? So these are the basic metrics that you track to understand the efficiency of your engineering organization. Um, and it includes your cycle time. It includes what is your you know time to restore after failure? What is... Um, there's these, you know, key metrics and measures that we look at as an engineering organization at large that we use as a planning tool to evaluate, you know, where do we want to direct that investment? So between the project that we spun up to address some of those availability and reliability issues and, you know, a deeper investigation on the invest on the efficiency of our engineering organization, we decided to actually take an entire that entire summer, those three months, and we pause major parts of our roadmap, almost the entire feature development stopped so that we could focus on these things. And what that started was an incredible journey where we focused more on what we call, you know, our foundational elements or our fundamental, you know, health measures, and how do we process those and factor those back into planning. And, And that whole journey and that investigation started, you know, where we could shift and and really invest more in how we enable our engineers and our hubbers to to a have fun at work, B be more effective and you know, like cut the cut that cycle time down and not have so many retries and so many failures along the way. And like I'm here to say it is improved. Is it perfect? No. Could we do better? Absolutely. We're always improving. But what that really started for us was this whole journey where we're investing much more in these areas and able to focus in on on that experience for our employees and for our customers, right? That makes it faster and easier to to ship features and fixes out to them.
0: The story you shared about how GitHub stopped shipping features for a quarter, that's Probably pretty interesting and surprising to, to all listeners <laughs> of the show. You know, one question that came to my mind when you shared that was you know, how was it actually decided that it was in GitHub's best interest to do that? Right? Sapping customer yeah. facing features for a quarter is a is a major major risk and major decision. So
1: it's the major but, investment, right? Yeah. yeah. And how do you um how do you reach that alignment between product and engineering and, you know, and leadership? Right. So, um, you know, there were definitely a, a lot of alignment conversations. And I think a lot of this really comes down to, you know, recognizing the value of those efficiencies to be had. Right. And, and, and having the business sense of the impact that it will make in the long run, to your customers and to your users and to your um, employees, like the retention and the, you know, satisfaction of your employees and all the goodwill that that generates, you know, ends up paying itself forward in so many ways. Um, But yeah, it really is coming down to engineering and product operating as a partnership and operating in a way that they can have these conversations and come to alignment on these things. And it really was a large partnership between product and engineering, not only to come together and identify that, you know, this would be valuable activity to undertake, but in the execution of that and how we identified what work we were going to prioritize, how, um, you know, what exceptions did we have to make to keep things running and progressing and and meet those promises in the communication to our, our customers and the commitments that we've made and, and the adjustments that needed to be made there. But without a tight partnership between product and engineering, it really never would have been possible to even launch, much, much less execute.
0: That's really interesting. So it sounds like making this investment came down to the belief that there would be greater gains down the road from, from paying down uh, or correcting yeah, some down of that, that technical
1: issues. debt and making this investment into our, into our future. Absolutely
0: what were some of the things like the key takeaways from looking at the Dora metrics or looking at doing an audit of the reliability track occurred at GitHub? What were the biggest key things that came out of those as priorities for this quarter spent working on these things?
1: One of the big things that we focused on, um, interestingly was one of the, the top project priorities was documentation, right? Having good information, a way to store it, a way to find it, a way to retrieve it. Um, Again, I'm not here to say that we do it perfectly yet and we continue to iterate on it, but we made massive improvements on what the source of engineering information was for us to follow. Um, So that was super interesting. And that also came from, you know, we also did surveys and a listening tour and, you know, internal voting exercises and all of the typical product related activities for ourselves so that we could identify that. So that was one of the first ones, was just information storage and making sure that we were um, investing in doing that well. And then back into um, more of the technical bits of our workflow, one of the things that we focused on were the length of time it took to run tests and what we could do to you know shave those build times and those CI times down. Um, a couple of the work streams that we uh, kicked off for that was related to pulling the enterprise tests um, that took hours to run sometimes. And instead of running those on every build, let's pull those out and run them nightly or and you know, with a, a mechanism that if they don't get picked up and solved, that we will stop the pipeline that you know, kind of as that forcing function and all the automation to do that. Um, We also looked at other job times and how they ran and if they'd be restartable and um, uh, yeah, resumable and idempotent. And uh, yeah, basically we came up with 20 work streams and I think we had an original list, goodness, I'm trying to remember if it was like 40 or 50 options and I'm sure we could have taken that into the hundreds, but the exercise that we went through was to identify the ones that potentially would have the most impact, of course, on our availability and reliability and our internal experience and um yeah so we picked 20 of those the one thing that i really loved about that work was even once we you know narrowed it down to this list of 20 we went across engineering teams and found people to lead them and how we were going to work on them but going into that even with that predefined list at that point the idea was always don't stop there. Like if if this isn't the right thing or if we start looking at this and it's not panning out or isn't gonna have the impact that we expected it would, like feel free to provide that feedback and let's talk about it and make sure we are doing the most impactful thing. So one of the things that came out of that is our merge queue. Um, At the time we had been deploying in a train system Um, We've been doing that for a long time, and one of the work streams that we chose was to look at the next version of how we could do these deployments. And the folks that worked on that were like, yeah, we hear you. You want a plan. You want us to try some things and do a proof of concept. But we really think we could take it further we really think we could you know go from just a plan and maybe you know a small experiment to something much more solid and what that ended up creating was um was exactly that emerge queue that we're now running today and looking to launch and so that's been tremendously exciting and that all started from from that summer well
0: i'd love to come back to learn more about the merge queue if we have time, but I, you, you mentioned something that, that piqued my interest, which was documentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually su- somewhat surprisingly been a, a theme we're hearing from a lot of other companies we've been speaking with. I'm curious, ah. digging a little deeper into documentation, what did you learn when you, you know, gathered feedback or measurements around documentation? And I'm curious what you guys did tactically to make improvements.
1: So for us... Um, it definitely fell into a few different themes, but kind of the general overarching theme I would say is we didn't have established a single source of engineering information. Um, some teams were keeping it in their team repositories. Some teams would keep it in you know documentation. and even within the GitHub platform, right? We have um, MD files right within the code paths. We have uh, wiki pages, we have posts. We have fair, you know we have so many different options. Um, And what we didn't have was just one central, one solid central location for this. And so that's what we did is established, you know, a a solid um, presence on our intranet for the engineering documentation and reinforcing that if it's how-to guides for us, if it's, um, yeah, basically we established that as the source of truth um, and started pulling things out of individual repositories and Google drives and (laughs) everywhere else so that, we had um, one common searchable location.
0: That makes sense. And I'm curious, who at GitHub, how do you actually manage the process of creating documentation and, and maintaining documentation? Is that something that is centralized or delegated or a combination of both? Who, who kind of oversees well, that?
1: We definitely have um, some... Teams that handle our outward-facing documentation. In fact, I'm like super proud to partner and collaborate with them, and the work that they've done to open source the documentation externally. But for our internal use, again, we do partner with them, but it is up to every team to create and manage their documentation. And our standard best practices include that you know, with every feature you develop or infrastructure that you support, that we do provide that documentation in a central, you know, easily discoverable location. In fact, it's one of the hallmarks of working at GitHub, I would say, is um, the way that we handle communication and information, again, not gonna say that we do it perfectly. Definitely, we have additional things we can do, but the fact that we do everything as much as possible transparently, where people can discover that information and, and, you know, when conversations are happening, um in sync we try to make sure that we're really good about capturing summaries and recording them in in issues that people can find it and if they're happening in written we try to do those in issues or slack or documents where if somebody needs to be looped in they don't have to you know find the right email chain and forks and threads and right like we can just give them a link that that has been like the entire github practice for communication is if it doesn't have a link it didn't happen So we really try to be good at capturing and summarizing to support those global, um, you know, the global team that we have and all the time zones and all the different projects and the coordination and collaboration, like communication is key there.
0: That makes sense. And before I forget, so we don't leave listeners hanging out, tell us about that merge queue.
1: Oh, the merge queue, yes. So the, the mechanism again that we were using was a train where we would lump pull requests together into a special pull request, which served as you know the bundle that would then get picked up and moved through our deployment mechanism as a batch. And it was very tied with the system that did the deployments um, and, and very coupled and you know required somebody to um you know, watch over it very carefully. Somebody had to be the train conductor, if you will. And, you know, that was always nerve wracking because there's a bunch of changes that you didn't make. And, you know, and hopefully people were sticking around to watch and um, and all of that final validation, that final build happened in that train. Now with the merge queue, that is completely decoupled. And the grouping of pull requests and the reviews and, and such can happen outside of that main deployment mechanism and yeah this has been a big customer feature request for a long time and it's so nice to see all of this coming coming out now it's been it's been quite a journey and an exciting one
0: that's exciting so this is actually something that will be shipped to customers as well mm-hmm. You're yep hey okay, a little bit of a preview
1: it's in well, i believe it's in limited beta now and i would have to go look at the the roadmap outline to see what the official release date is. But again, our our practice is to make sure that we're using this and proving it for folks first and foremost, and as much as possible, we try to do that. And and so yeah, so the merge queue was an excellent example of it coming together for us to well, share with y'all.
0: Well, it's we're, we're still on this pretty incredible story of GitHub stopping engineering. Feature work for a quarter. (laughs) So I'm curious to know, so after this quarter was over and kind of fast forwarding to current day, how are you guys staying on top of developer experience now? What does that look like? Yes, we
1: have, um, and it's so important, right? Like not only coming out of that quarter and the investment that we made, right? We don't want to backslide that's a worst feeling right when you go and you do all this work and then it just kind of slowly takes back and falls back into old ways or anything um so we did we put in these anti what i call anti-slip measures right like that became coming out of there became the new baseline never to fall below again and only to you know grow from there and so there are key measurements that we watch carefully um and even more than the than the core dora metrics we have additional um, breakdowns of those pieces that we can make sure individually are remaining healthy. And basically, we focus on these three things: it's elapsed time, right? Either from commit to merge, or commit to deploy, or you know, just the build times. You know, for individual groups to watch over, but whatever those slices of times are, and definitely to our users, to our engineers, who have to go through that queue, what is the elapsed time that it takes for them to to ship their feature, not just to one platform, but to all the platforms, right? Um, At what point does the automation kick in and take over so that they can go back to their day jobs or do they get roped back in to, you know, babysit something or or have to fix it, heaven forbid, if um, there was a problem in the deployment mechanism itself. So so that's something that we watch very closely. That first aspect is the time, the elapsed time that it takes. The second one is our uh, is our success rate or our error rate, depending on which way you want to spend it. I I, I tend to look at success, like <laughs> let's increase it. Um, and plus, when you're talking about validations, like is a failed test an error? No, like I'm talking about errors in the platform, not in the tests that are supposed to catch errors. Um, and if our test platform is failing them then and they have to retry or you know like that's obviously something that you want to minimize but speaking of tests that fail as they should to prevent problems from going out to our users and customers but there's also the concept of flaky tests right where tests the same test on the same code base on the same environment like sometimes it passes and sometimes it doesn't and how we handle those and minimize those because those are also another friction point Right. So that's something that we keep an eye on and make sure that that remains in a healthy state. Um, So, again, we've got time. We have success rates. And the last element to me is the number of manual steps. Right. Which does factor into the time. But in and of itself, I think it's important to understand, like, how many click points and and chatbot messages and you know whatever it is that you have to do to get your job done to get that code out onto your environments if it takes you 100 steps and they're error prone and like difficult to follow and hard to remember then that that's a separate signal that you know everybody wants that ideal one click solution and so yeah so it's time uh success rates and manual steps are kind of the three big things that I look for across the board and then like again with individual slices that are more actionable per department or team and then back into sorry to finish the anti slip is with some measurements um and those are some examples and we have many 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 more but we have you know a monthly meeting where these things are measured and reviewed and we notice like are they trending in a good direction are they backsliding um you know hey folks you still don't have like these certain items you know that we deem are necessary like outside of the developer experience maybe it's for security maybe it's for whatever it is you know we watch these every month and again factor that back into our larger planning because if things are heating up or we're not you know staying healthy then Like that's going to have impact down the road. So, the faster and easier it is to stay on top of that and make space for that activity to happen, that's how you stay healthy. That's how you can see where you need to direct that investment. Um, And sometimes we do look at it and say, yeah, we see this happening, but we are going to focus and finish this feature um, and we're going to incur a hit there. That's totally expected. And we're willing to make the investment on the other side and we understand what it means, but at least we're doing it consciously. And not like, oh, was that a thing?
0: <laughs> well, I really appreciate the piece about how uh, your groups meet monthly to to review the measurements because I think that's one thing we hear from so many leaders is they have some measurements but they're not sure how to operationalize them. I'm curious to dig a little bit deeper into that without you know sharing numbers or anything like mm-hmm. that. I mean, what, where are these measurements or metrics? captured and displayed what 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 is what are your groups actually reviewing
1: we actually don't um dictate like we have a framework for everybody to feed their information into so that we can aggregate it and report on it and then um you know divvy up by organization so that you know people understand their pieces of it but we do not dictate that it has to come from you know whatever tools like we have several and that we leave a little more loose as long as it fits into the framework so that it can report in and aggregate that is that is the big request and I think that that's a good pattern um you know it always comes down to like how much do you standardize and make it easy for everybody to participate in down to what degree versus let them use the tools that are best for them, but then give them an, a, you know, a way to roll it up together. And you know it's just a balance and it's gonna vary for every organization and situation. As long as the important thing is that you do have something that's coming together and you've got a way to bring that information together and review it and factor it into planning. That is the big point. Um, yeah, for us, we have probably a dozen different tools that feed into it. So it's not even worth enumerating. <laughs>
0: That makes sense. Uh, So that's kind of the what part of it. So what about the who? Who is looking at these metrics? Is it primarily executive leadership and your kind of developer experience group, or are you involving kind of product teams, uh, meaning product engineering teams, into this process as well?
1: Yeah. One thing that you um, touch on there again really highlights the importance of the engineering and product partnership right and and we actually call it engineering product and design we make sure that we are operating together as a close-knit unit um and and reaching that alignment all the time so yes I would say that the the entire process that I've been describing here is driven by engineering but that's just we're just the ones driving it. It is not that the product is not involved every step of the way in reviewing it with us and factoring that in with us. And then as far as levels, um, our senior vice president of engineering, he is one who is accountable for all of it. And he sits in on those meetings and, um, and oversees and every vice president you know, gets their pieces of it and makes sure that they drive that health through each of their organizations. But at the same time, you know, I, as director have my pieces of it and understand what's happening within my group. Every engineering manager in our group also watches their piece of it and makes sure that they're staying healthy long before it makes its way up into the SVP. I mean, the idea is once it gets up to Keith, who's our SVP, then he just looks at it and says, thanks everyone. Good job. (laughs) Looks good. Or We're giving early, you know, because we're watching this all along, we're giving early signal. Hey, this is going in a bad direction. Heads up at the next meeting. We are talking about this and this and this, right? Like we need to pause on this and make some investments here or we're going to let that slide, right? We can come in with recommendations already. And then the leadership becomes, you know, who is championing our activity and not having to sway us necessarily, right? So everybody gets access to this information, again, because that centralized framework that we use.
0: You touched on something really interesting there. I'm curious, how do you, in your role, sort of understand, you know, which pieces of the puzzle your group is responsible for driving across GitHub versus, Mm -hmm. you know, which pieces of the puzzle the individual teams uh, are responsible for kind of driving for themselves locally?
1: Yeah, we spend a lot of time making sure that we have clear um, area of responsibility delineation, Um, not in a sense to say to each other, like, hey, that's not my job. That's your, you know, that's (laughs) Joe's over there. He has to take care of that. Like, that's not how that operates at all. But what it is, is to make sure somebody has eyes on it, right? We also did a large effort to make sure any of those pieces that were either not captured and claimed uh, you know this basically comes down to inventory like we looked at the entire inventory of services um, either you know actual services or logical services that we operate and made sure that there is a name you know, with a team point of contact on every single one of those and the only ones that we kind of leave i would say they're unowned but they're not unowned we actually send them to our svp um, are, almost the culture building cute chat ops, right? (laughs) The fun things that like we own collectively as a group. Um, But beyond that, everybody, I'm sorry, every service that we have has an owner and a champion. Um, And then they state how much of that is funded, um, you know, what the current state of it is in terms of, is it production ready? Is it experimental? Um, And then within, within that ownership, then you also get all the metadata that comes with it, right? So like if something falls into the area of responsibility of one of my teams, I as director of that team become the escalation point for that and my boss and on and on. So for free, we get all of the ownership path and the aggregate data that we can slice and dice with at that point. But having a clear, you know, responsible team for every and that took a while to resolve, right? Because there's things that kind of spin up in the past and who knows where they landed and right. So like we had to have a lot of difficult conversations and make sure that got sorted through.
0: That's really interesting. Earlier in the conversation you touched on when you were mentioning some of the metrics you guys looked at before kicking off that quarterly initiative, uh, you, you mentioned surveys. How you oh, just yes. you, you just rearticulated some of the, the metrics your uh, GitHub looks at. Uh, how do surveys kind of play into that picture?
1: Yeah, so every quarter we also do um, what we call a development satisfaction survey, and these are fairly common. It's a way to check in with your folks about you know how effective do they feel they're being, you know what would they rate their experience with various um, parts of the life cycle that they go through, be it from coding to debugging to testing to um, the languages that they use. Right, so we try to quantify. Um, on, you know, on a regular basis to see again at a high level, how are we trending? How are we doing? Uh, And that also helps direct investments into the area and give really good feedback um, into those processes so that we know where to invest our funds for, you know, the teams that we have and do we need more um, individuals on the teams or more teams? Yeah, those surveys are absolutely key for us, which is funny when we talk about surveys, especially in the world, like, you know, we also talk about survey fatigue, and it's a real thing because there's a survey for everything, but I, I, we really get good participation in these because it really directly influences people's day to day, right, so it's, it's really, um, really rewarding to see some of these comments and see some of the input and feedback come in. But the other thing i want to point out is we don't rely just on the surveys right one of the things that we're continuing to expand here is um you know how do we essentially productize our internal experience and and have product engage with that and help drive that just as as we would any product and again the the fun part of this is if we want to show the world how to do this then it is a product and so having that mindset Um, not only the altruistic reasons that we want to take care of our employees and, you know, we're all engineers, right? We want to do this great too, but also the bigger picture of, you know, like GitHub's mission to bring everybody together. And so like for, for folks out there, like whatever it is that you're anchoring on, I mean, that's the thing is when your employees are engaged and taken care of and they feel heard and, and these things are being acted upon and you recognize the value in that, like it pays other uh, investment pays dividends all the way all the way through
0: you brought up survey fatigue or survey action <laughs> fatigue yeah. which is which is of course a, a well-known sort of risk with surveys how does github address that what are what are things you do to try to make sure you know developers don't feel like they're yeah. providing feedback and to avoid yeah
1: of course right and because the other thing is you know, did anything really materially change in the last three months? Why are you asking me all these questions again? I mean, hopefully the answer is yes, and that's what we're trying to capture. And, um, you know, of course we want people to feel like they have a, a clear avenue to provide that feedback, but the the key thing it, there again is is that action and that communication around it, right? Like if you're just surveying and then nothing happens and you don't ever talk about it and nothing ever changes, that's rough, right? Like, I think that's where that fatigue comes in. But if you turn that into action and, and, you know, openly acknowledge, like, we hear you, here's the themes we saw. This is what we've learned. Oh my goodness, we didn't know. These is, this is what surprised us. This is what we were aware of. This confirms what we were thinking. And turn that into action with regular reporting back to everybody on it, right? Um, at this time, you know, everybody was measuring, you know, whatever, like, uh, I can't remember the name of, um, the scale we use, but it's essentially zero to 200, I think. And 100 is kind of right in the middle with right. satisfaction. It's, it's
0: NSAT right now. Yeah.
1: the NSAT. Thank you. Um, but if we're, you know, tracking at a hundred for particular reasons, this is where we try to go now and find the leading indicators that, are going to influence that and then we'll start tracking reporting on those regularly everybody hey like we see you know we weren't feeling great about our ci speed so boom you know every week let's put it out there here's what our ci speeds are here's what we're doing about it we closed this thing we saw the ci speeds come down everybody celebrate oh my goodness watch the ci speeds are actually going up again we're so sorry we're watching this closely here's what we're doing keeping that steady communication and feedback loop going so that Folks know that we're listening in between the surveys. They know we're taking action based on what happened in those surveys. I think that's when you get the engagement because now they feel involved. Now they feel vested in providing that information because something's going to be done with it.
0: That makes sense. And who at GitHub is doing that work, that, that communication and that follow-up? Who's actually, is that something that's being done by your team or is that all managers, like local teams as well? Where is that yeah. work happening?
1: Um in and- this particular case, when it comes to the survey and the results and sharing that, that does fall to our team. We've partnered with the data organization to do this before. Um, We've partnered with the internal communications group. But ultimately, it's our responsibility, right? We're the ones who care, we're the ones who want to make this happen. That is our remit is to make sure that we have a good experience. So yeah, absolutely, the responsibility uh, lies with us to make sure that this happens. Um, and, and then it becomes implementation details at that point who we partner with to get it done.
0: We're almost out of time, Liz. So what? I think we only have time so, for so fun. <laughs> one more question. But, you know, your group obviously supports a lot of engineers across GitHub. What are some ways you handle communication and kind of, you know, keep that feedback loop healthy with, with so many developers really across the world that, that you guys support? Uh, what are some ways you, you manage that communication, those relationships? Uh, yeah, how do you do that?
1: Um, I am going to share one of the fun things that we do, <laughs> which is it, it's going to sound fun, but right, we're a remote first company. We we always have been that, that started what 14, 15 years ago when we started. Um, And one of the things that we talk about is how do you manufacture serendipity right we're not in an office it's not like we're gonna you know be having lunch with other buddies and then other buddies join us and we randomly strike up conversation like those things don't happen, so how do you, how do you create that opportunity. Um, And. We use a tool, a chatbot that we wrote, that will randomly pair people together in Slack channels. So you can join certain Slack channels. And then the bot will say, hey, meet with (laughs) so-and-so. Like every two weeks, you'll get a new introduction and a prompt to set some time aside to meet them. And that honestly has been such an amazing way, not only to network and connect with folks around engineering. um, And I'm speaking direct experience here. I love that tool. But also the amount of feedback that I get from (laughs) from those meetings is incredible. So again, with that manufactured serendipity, if you will, right, like create opportunities for these things to happen in the wild, but also do not leave this to chance, right? Be very intentional with your input and feedback mechanisms and how you do this. Like Whether you set up an internal customer board, which is something that we've practiced in the past is to take a key individual from every part of the organization and establish them as a point of contact for the areas that they represent so that they can go and solicit feedback and bring it to y'all and then take, you know, the actions that we're doing and bring it back to those groups. Like that is a very intentional scheduled activity with expectations of the participants that has been really helpful for us in the past. Another thing that we've done gets to the product engagement, right? Like treat this like for us, we treat it like a product because, you know, a development collaboration platform is our jam, right? Like, that's what we want the world to do, but find yours and and whatever it is that you're trying to do, make that a part of your business and treat it like a product, right? For the benefit of your developers that are going through this. Um, uh, Yeah. So between manufactured serendipity and then Very crafted intentional communication patterns to stay in touch with folks like those to me are the two key things and like definitely just make sure the conversation doesn't stop and this is something that I ingrain with all of the people in my group is there's going to be points of friction right there's things that we want to see improve that we want to have better. I want our people always to be the ones who are inviting and continuing that conversation. And it's going to be hard, right? Like, cause sometimes they are the ones who are responsible for the, like things that folks are complaining about. And I just remind my folks like, it's okay. Like there's nobody at blame here. It's the system, you know, whatever it is, like, don't worry about it. Just keep the conversation going. We don't ever want anybody to feel like they can't bring us that information. So, um, you know, not to say like we're emotion police or anything like, yeah, I get it, but just don't stop the conversation. That's the only thing I ever asked them. Just don't stop the conversation. Keep it going. Even if it means you have to pause for a minute and regroup and then come back.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks so much for for sharing all these insights, Liz. If people want to follow your work or what GitHub's doing or reach out to you, where's the best place for them to find you?
1: So me personally, I do blog and write about a lot of these types of topics. Um, And you can find me at LizSaling.com, L-I-Z-S-A-L-I-N-G. And I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Not a ton, but I am on there. Um, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to find me. But yeah, follow the GitHub engineering blog where we do post and talk about these things quite often.